If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Of all the problems infecting our world over the past year, one has reached epidemic proportions even among Christians. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers worry what God's Word says about it, and what you can do about it. Continuing his series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here's David to introduce today's eye-opening message, How Can I Get Victory Over Worry? And thank you for joining us today for the Friday edition of Turning Point. Today we begin our discussion of a new question that people are asking. And this one is called, How Can I Get Victory Over Worry? And our text for this discussion is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. If you've never studied this passage, you're in for a real blessing. This section of Matthew is one of the central passages on worry, along with uh, the passage in Philippians. And I'm really excited to be able to teach this passage um, today and again on Monday. Now, you may not be a worrier. Most of us worry some. Uh, and sometimes it's so funny. You ask people, do you worry? No, I have a little bit of anxiety, but I don't worry. Uh, and then some people say, no, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. Well, worry is worry. And the Bible has something to say about it. Philippians says, be anxious for nothing. That means we're not supposed to worry about anything. And Matthew will help us deal with this subject. And we're going to get into this discussion here in just a moment. But first, let me take a, a minute and tell you about our resource for the month of May. Very excited about this because it is a book that contains all of the information about these questions in print. During my time as a pastor, I have fielded thousands of questions some people have approached me with intellectual questions about the nature of God. Some people ask me about the truth of Scripture and the signs of the times. But most questions have been issues of the heart, the whys of life. Sometimes the questions are anguished and the answers are elusive. But I have committed myself to the proposition that the Bible has the answers that we seek. And that's what this series is all about. And that's what this book is all about. Here's how you can get your copy of the resource for the month of May. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point. Your gift is tax deductible. And when you send your gift, be sure to ask for a copy of this 230-page hardcover book, 10 Questions That Christians Are Asking. We'll send the book to you by return mail. You'll have it before this series is over, and then it will be there for you whenever you need it. Whenever these questions come up, whenever somebody asks you one of these 10 questions, you will have a definitive answer in print based upon the scripture to which you can uh, appeal. I'd love to send this book to you. Let us do it. Send your gift today. Now let's get started with our Friday lesson, How Can I Get Victory Over Worry? Today I want to talk with you about how can I get victory over worry. And if you want to find the passage we're going to deal with, it's in Matthew chapter 6. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. 
And while you're doing that, I have a couple of stories to tell you. I read about a man who was seen fleeing down the hall of a hospital just before his operation. What's the matter, said the receptionist. He said, I heard my nurse say, it's a very simple operation. Don't worry, I'm sure it will be all right. Well, she said she was just trying to comfort you. What's so frightening about that? She wasn't talking to me. She was talking to my doctor. (laughs) Not good. And then I read about a very nervous airline passenger who began pacing the terminal when bad weather delayed his flight. During his walk, he came across one of those life insurance machines, offered $100,000 in the event of an untimely death aboard his flight. The policy only cost $3. He looked out the window at the threatening clouds and thought of his family at home. For that price, it was foolish not to buy it, so he took out the coverage. And then he went to find a place to eat and settled on his favorite little Chinese corner in the airport. It was a relaxing meal until he opened his fortune cookie, and his fortune cookie read, Your recent investment will pay big dividends. In an article that appeared in December of 2013 entitled Surviving Anxiety, author and journalist Scott Stossel wrote these words. He said, Anxiety has afflicted me all of my life. When I was a child and my mother was attending law school at night, I spent evenings at home with a babysitter, terrified that my parents had died in a car crash or had abandoned me. During the first grade, I spent nearly every afternoon for months in the school nurse's office begging to go home. During high school, I would purposefully lose tennis matches so that I could escape the agony of anxiety that competitive situations always provoked in me. In short, he wrote, I have, since the age of about two, been a twitchy bundle of phobias, fears, and neuroses. Here's what I have done to try to find peace. Individual psychotherapy, three decades of it, family therapy, group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive behavior therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, hypnosis, meditation, self-help, workbooks, massage therapy, prayer, acupuncture, yoga, stoic philosophy, and audio tapes I ordered off of a late-night TV infomercial. And medication? Oh, lots of medication. Nardil, Buspar, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Lexapro, Cymbalta, Luvox, Trazodone, Inderol, Cirox, Zentrax, Zolpidem, Valium, Librium, Activin, and Xanax. Also, beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, and scotch. (laughs) And then he wrote in this article at the bottom of all of that, here's what I found really worked. And in big letters was this word, nothing. Nothing worked. And so many people that you and I know, perhaps even some of you, have been down that road. You've allowed anxiety and worry to take control of your life, and no matter what you try, it never seems to work. So I'm here to tell you that while I am not a doctor or a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I have some good news for you because Jesus has addressed this issue. Here's a little bit of thought for those of you who are Bible students that I found very helpful along the way in my life. In the Bible, there are central passages 
which deals specifically with key issues. When I was a student at Dallas Seminary, I had as a professor a man by the name of Charles Ryrie, and he used to talk about this all the time. He used to say Christians ought to know where every central passage in the Bible is about a subject. And he said you should start finding them and writing them in the back of your Bible. So today I want to give you the truth of the central passage in the Bible on the subject of worry. Now, worry is something that is defined as an uneasy, distressed, anxious, or apprehensive feeling over what might happen. Corey ten Boom defined it as worry as an old man with a bended head carrying a load of feathers that he thinks are lead. Walter Kelly said, worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster, and belief in defeat. (laughs) Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. (laughs) The New Testament word for worry is a very interesting word. It's the Greek word merimnao, which is a combination of two words, meritso, which means to divide, and nous, which means mind. So according to the New Testament, the word worry is a divided mind, a mind divided between legitimate thoughts and destructive thoughts. No wonder James says in his book, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Worry itself is a concern over the future. Worry is concern about something that we cannot do anything about, that we cannot even be sure about. One who worries looks off into the future, but the problem with the person who does that is twofold. First of all, the future is not here, and secondly, the future is not his. No one but God knows its true shape, and according to the Bible, worry is concern over the unknown and uncontrollable future. Remember the day Jesus met with Mary and Martha? If you want to know the poster child for worry in the New Testament, it had to be Martha. Jesus addressed her. He said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. And that is what describes so many of God's people today. We're worried and troubled about many things. Now let's get it straight. We live in a world that makes it very easy for us to worry. Can I get a witness? All this stuff that's going on in our country today and around the world, the diseases, the wars, all of it. If we allow ourselves, we can get consumed with worry about all of that. But when worry takes over in our lives, men and women, as Christians, it makes it very difficult for God's Word to have any impact on us. In fact, when Jesus was teaching on the sowing of the sower and the seed, he said that sometimes when the Word of God is sown in the hearts of people, it falls among thorns. And these thorns grow up and they choke the Word of God out of the heart. And in detailing who those thorns are in Matthew chapter 13. One of them is the cares of this world. Jesus said when you get so caught up in the cares of this world, it will take you away from your ability to hear and understand and profit from the Word of God. Chuck Swindoll says that worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. So if there's one place in the Bible where you're going to find out what the Bible says about worry, It will be in this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Here Jesus uses the term worry six times and the expression don't worry three times. Here's the don't worry verses. Verse 
25, chapter 6 of Matthew. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Matthew 6, 31, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Matthew 6, 34, do not worry about tomorrow. So if you want to have the distilled teaching of Jesus on the subject of worry, it comes in two words, don't worry. Don't worry is the all-inclusive phrase. It is illustrated, it is emphasized, it is argued with skill by the great master and teacher. It accurately finds the whole attitude that we should have toward this problem. The Bible says don't do it. Now, before we deal with Jesus' thoughts on this, I want to tell you, first of all, what he is not saying. Some people read the old translation that deals with the subject of anxiety, and in the original King James Version, it says this, be careful for nothing. And I know a lot of people who live that way, don't you? They're careful for nothing. That was kind of my life first when I was a young person, you know, carefree. Jesus is not telling us when he says, don't worry, that we should never plan, that we should never be concerned about the future, that we should never be strategic in the way we live our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness planning what was going to happen next. He planned for the Last Supper. He tells us, don't ever enter into a project unless you count the cost. Jesus was a planner. So he's not talking about do away with all planning. You know, I know some preachers that live like that. You ask them, why don't you study? Well, I just open my mouth and the Bible says the Lord will fill it. Well, you can only try that two or three times on one congregation and you're working somewhere else. <laughs> you know, the problem with all of this thought about not taking this seriously is wrong. Jesus is not only not talking about not planning, he's not saying that we shouldn't have concerns. How many of you know it's right to have concerns? God has given to us the mechanism in our body so that when things happen, we're alerted. Adrenaline flows. We know what to do. Your child runs out into the street where there's traffic. You need to be concerned about that and go into action. But men and women, there's a great deal of difference between worry and concern. Worry sees problems. Concern solves problems. Worry lives in the unknown future. Concern lives in the present. And when we worry, we are not legitimately being concerned. And you need to understand the difference between those two. I don't want you to leave here today and say, well, I'm just supposed to live my life carefree, not worry about anything, not be concerned. I don't know where the money's going to come from my next bill. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. I read about a businessman who drew up what he called a worry chart. And he kept a record of all the worries he had for a long period of time, and then he cataloged them, and then he made some summaries of what he learned. And here's what he wrote. Forty percent of my worries were about things that probably would never happen. Thirty percent concerned decisions I made in the past that I couldn't do anything about. Twelve percent dealt with other people's criticism of me. I couldn't control that either. And ten percent were worries about my health. He said, after I got all done doing this study, I found out that only 8% of my worries were really legitimate. If you cannot help worrying, remember, worrying can't help you either. <laughs> so in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 32, Jesus is going to logically walk us through 
all the issues involved in worrying and help us understand the problem. I think this passage is really interesting how it's laid out. The first few verses, Jesus gives us a way to understand worry, and then he finishes up by helping us learn how to overcome worry. How many of you know sometimes you can't overcome something if you don't understand it? If you don't know what the problem is, you don't know how to address it. Jesus is a masterful teacher, so he's going to give us five things about worry that we need to know. These are so central to this subject that when I put the study Bible together that many of you have, I actually listed them in a sidebar so that it would always be next to this passage. I believe this is so critical to where we are today with so many people in anxiety, even among God's people. So Jesus said, here's what you need to know about worry. Worry, first of all, the Lord Jesus said, is inconsistent. Read with me the 25th verse of the sixth chapter. Therefore, Jesus said, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. Listen carefully. Jesus says, the one upon whom you are depending is the one who has given you your life. He has created your life. Do you not think that he can care for the simple things that go along with that life? In other words, if God has the power to create these marvelous organisms we call our bodies, does it not make sense? Is it not logical that he can provide some clothes to put on these bodies, some food to put in these bodies, and some shelter to put over these bodies? Cannot the one who has done the greater do the lesser? The point is that God would not have given us life and he would not have created our bodies without seeing to the provision of those things that are necessary to sustain us. If you believe in a creator God, you also must believe in a sustainer God or you're not consistent. Jesus said, first of all, worry is inconsistent. If God has given you life and your body, he will help you with the other things that go with it. Now, secondly, Jesus said that worry is irrational. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, if you bought into the logic of the first statement, that our Lord does the greater, so we should trust him to do the lesser, You might be thinking something like this. Well, yeah, I got that. I believe that. I accept that. But I know he's able to do this. What if he doesn't do it? What if he is able and he won't? What if he doesn't do what he's able to do? And the answer to that question is found in verse 26. In verse 25, the argument is from the greater to the lesser. And in verse 26, the argument is from the lesser to the greater. I'm not trying to be philosophical. This is just an interesting way that the Lord presents this. In verse 25, he uses the body and life as the greater and our provision as the lesser. In verse 26, he uses the birds as the lesser and us as the greater. And he says, God Almighty provides for the birds. Don't you think he'll provide for you? Are you not much more valuable than the birds? And this is so illustrated in words that Jesus spoke in another place in chapter 10. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? 
Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 6, we are given even greater insight. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 6, we read, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Now, a copper coin was the Jewish measurement known as the Assyrian. An Assyrian was worth one-sixteenth of a denarius, and I'm sure that straightens it all out for you. (laughs) A denarius was a day's wage in the time of Jesus. So, one copper coin was one-sixteenth of a day's wages. So you could get two sparrows for one copper coin. And if you bought four sparrows, they would throw the fifth one in for free. You'd get five. What a deal. And the point that Jesus is making is that not one of them is forgotten by God, not even the sparrow that's thrown in for free. And since we are of infinitely more value than a sparrow, should we not have great confidence that Almighty God would look after us and take care of our interest just as he takes care of the birds of the air? Some years ago, a person gave me a little bit of poetry It goes like this, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Worry is inconsistent and it's irrational, but here is the whole core of it. The middle point of the five is the key point. It's ineffective. It doesn't work. Worry never accomplished anything, and it never will. The only thing it does is destroy the person who does it. And listen to what Jesus is saying in verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his statue? What Jesus is saying, why are you doing something that doesn't work? A cubit was 18 inches. He's saying, you can't worry yourself into being 18 inches taller than you are. I'd be over seven foot by now. And some scholars believe he's not even talking about the span of 18. He's talking about the length of life. He's saying, which of you can add one day or one hour or one minute to your life by worrying? We've had illustrations in recent days of some of the wealthiest people who ever walked on this earth, and they died And they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't worry themselves into one more day. And one scholar has said, wow, you cannot add any days to your life by worrying. You sure can subtract some. And he went on to say that in the graveyards of America are many Bible-believing Christians who stole 10 or 15 years from God as a useful servant because they just worried themselves into a grave before their time. Jesus is saying that you cannot use worry to accomplish your goal. It's futile to worry. And if you try it, all it will do is ruin your life and you will never accomplish anything with it. Worry is inconsistent. It's irrational. It's ineffective. Now in verse 28 and 30, it's illogical. Listen to this. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You know, the rationality of the passage in Matthew has always intrigued me. The logical explanation of it, the the, the way Jesus explained this and how all of the things that he said are so pertinent to this issue, I couldn't do anything better for my friends who worry than direct them to Matthew 6 and teach what the passage says. I hope you're listening carefully, and uh, maybe something will be said during these two days of discussion that will help you get victory over your worry. Well, uh, the weekend is here. I I love the Friday edition because it's my privilege to tell everybody to go to church. And, you know, that's, that's so much more meaningful today than it's ever been because we've not been going to church, many of us. And now here uh, at the church I pastor in California, we're back up to capacity and going to church every week. And such a delight. I've told people you don't know how much something means to you until it's taken from you. So church means a lot more to me than it ever has. I hope you go to church this weekend. Watch Turning Point on television if you can. And we'll see you right here on Monday. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's hardcover book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here on Turning Point. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we're living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the word, and be in prayer. Listen to the words of this ancient proverb. He who wishes a fire must put up with the smoke. To me, it means that the best things in life aren't free. They require an investment of patience and often of sacrifice. There's a proverb in the Bible that says something similar. If you want a clean barn, don't get an ox. 
But if you want a good harvest, an ox can make it happen. Life is filled with choices, and usually we have to give up something in order to get something. It's a wise man or woman who is willing to sacrifice to achieve the very best in life. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's choices on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.